results of the latest Gallup poll? Half the country never even heard of the word Watergate. Nobody gives a shit. You guys are probably pretty tired, right? Well, you should be. Go on home. Get a nice hot bath. Rest up 15 minutes. Then get your asses back in gear. We're under a lot of pressure, you know, and you put us there. Nothing's riding on this except the uh, First Amendment of the Constitution, freedom of the press, and maybe the future of the country. Not that any of that matters. Well, well, well. The reign of Donnie Boy has come to an end with a crashing jolt as he and his missus took the tin missile into Palm Beach and the Mar-a-Lago crowd. What an exit. What a time. What a fucking time. With that said, our story doesn't end here. Because what we set out to do was twofold. And it simply had to do with uncovering what the fuck happened with the Russian mob fellas. You know, those guys who actually wield power? More power than Nancy Pelosi and those other jerk-offs on Capitol Hill. The real nitty-gritty shit. So back to the task at hand and the diaries of Donald's crimes and misdemeanor. I was surprised to find out this week a few things that I wanted to continue to hunt down. First, and you can really chalk this up to bizarre, is I was doing some research into Andrew Weissman. He was basically Robert Mueller's right-hand man in the Mueller investigation. This guy wrote a book. It's called where Law Ends, Inside the Mueller Investigation. And I'm reading through the first 100 pages, and one striking thing jumped out at me. Would you believe that with all the manpower, with all that money, with all that talent, Mueller never investigated, looked into, or touched anything having to do with Donald Trump's financial dealings with Russia? Now, if you knew this, then good for you, because you're fucking smarter than me. But if they were not following the money, as you will, what the fuck were they actually doing? Well, here's maybe where I can come in handy. I'm going to keep pushing forward on the money and on these Russian mafia guys, because I have a hunch the answer to all our questions about Donnie Trump possibly lies there. Because it ain't in Washington, where the Republicans all of a sudden have amnesia as it relates to the storming of the Capitol. And I have a feeling this impeachment thing, yeah, yet again an exercise in fucking futility, is that is what both the Democrats and the Republicans specialize in. Joining us now is one of the nine House members who will prosecute former President Trump in his second impeachment trial, Representative Eric Swalwell of California. Congressman, good morning to you. We just mentioned those reports in the New York Times there about former President Trump allegedly trying to remove the acting attorney general in an effort to overturn the election. How much will that and other events outside the January 6th insurrection factor into your case and your strategy? It's such critical evidence with it goes to his motive to stay in power, his intent to do that, to call his supporters, to radicalize his supporters at all costs. And it also shows that the January 6th rally, while that's the day the 
supporters were invited, inflamed, incited. It was not a heat of passion crime, that this was a big lie that had been propagated for months by the president. This was not a slip of the tongue. He knew exactly what he was doing, and the outcome was deadly. So uh, on that, it, you have said that this was not a crime of passion. Are you suggesting that President Trump's actions were premedi premeditated in some way? Well, the evidence will show that uh, for months he had told his supporters that the election was stolen from him. He had called them his cavalry. He said that coming there on the 6th would be wild. And then, of course, while they assembled, and he knew from attacks on the Michigan State House and other state houses that his supporters, when called, show up armed. They wear the militia gear. They bring the MAGA hats and the MAGA gear. So he had, you know, foreknowledge of what they would do if summoned. And once they got there, he said, you can't show weakness. You have to fight. You're going to lose your country. And even suggested that he would go up there uh, with them. Yes, he knew exactly uh, what he was doing. Now, if we hear from witnesses in the trial, which many expect we will, who would you like to see testify? And could that include former President Trump? We know they're going to keep pushing on impeachment. But again, I think everyone is missing the boat. So let's dive back in. And let's start with Carter Page. Carter Page for a white guy from America. He seemed to have a lot of dealings with a lot of Russians. And I'm not sure at what time in our country it was ever a good thing. But I'll give the guy the benefit of the doubt. I like Russian vodka, maybe some Russian women. But Carter, I'm not sure what his goal was. But he was working for Trump, and that's a fact. Carter Page joins us now. Thanks for being here. Um, let, let's first start about what you said to Judy Woodruff and then what you said last night in MSNBC. Last month, you said Judy, to Judy Woodruff, she asked you, did you have any meetings last year with Russian officials in Russia, outside Russia, anywhere? You said no meetings. You repeated it three times. We just played that. Then all of a sudden last night, you say to Chris Hayes that you, quote, do not deny talking with Russia's U.S. ambassador over the summer uh, at a conference uh, at the, Re the Republican convention. That sounds like you were misleading to Judy Woodruff. You know, a Anderson, a great analogy is we, uh, you and I were members of the same health club here in New York mm. uh, uh, previously. And I remember walking by you, even though we didn't know each other, mm. and I said, uh, hi, Anderson, and you, you said hello, and we, you know, a nice little exchange for half, half a second. Mm. Now, does that, to you, constitute a meeting? Well, we've... I guess we've met, but yeah. it's not a, a meeting. Exactly. Thanks a lot. So, I mean, that's, I will not talk about anything that happened in off the record meetings. There's plenty of people in Washington I know nowadays, right, but especially when, when, who kind of. When Judy said, did, did you have any meetings last year with Russian officials in Russia, outside Russia, you could have just said, well, I, you know, I did attend a conference and was in a meeting with the Russian ambassador at the Republican National Convention. Because that sounds like more than just, saying hello to him. It, it was literally, you know, the amount of time you and I walked by each other and, you know, greeted each so other. What the fuck am I listening to? I don't understand. First, the FBI knew for a fact this guy had many visits with some Russians. That's a fact. But in the backwards world of Trump land, it's just normal fucking practice to run onto CNN and just fucking make something up. I mean, the fucking balls of these people are staggering. But let's give Carter Page the benefit of the doubt and let him work with his little nuances for now. 
Hopefully Anderson Cooper asks a meaningful question, but I'm not gonna hold my breath. Again, I don't talk about off-the-record confidential information. Right, but everyone but, but, that but attended if, that if meeting. If all you said yeah. was "Hi, Ambassador," that's not a confidential conversation. The the fact that we were participating, you know, I wouldn't even be talking about this if someone hadn't leaked it to USA Today. Right. Uh, okay, but report, last night, you so know. you you did meet with you met the Russian ambassador at this conference in Cleveland. I don't feel comfortable. Well, Listen, you, you did, if okay, I did, last night you said you do not deny it, so you do, I not, do not deny. I do not deny. I mean these reports, which is just totally getting this entire story out of out right, of context. But, but, and uh, you but know, an instead, of, record meeting, instead of talking about real substance, real crimes that were committed last year during the election against me, you know, human rights violations by the, the well, I, I've campaign. read I've read your letter to the Department of Justice. I'm happy to, to talk to you about that, but I do right. want to clear this up because it does appear as if you were misleading. I mean, when you say no meetings, no meetings, the off the record means you're not going to talk about the details of what were discussed. Yeah. But you can say, yeah, I had a meeting. It doesn't mean that. Well, that we just—it's exactly like you just said to me. You uh -huh. know, it was not a meeting. You know, our thing in our health club. So you're saying we you said didn't hello, speak to the Russian ambassador for more than ten seconds. Never more than, uh, again, I don't want to talk specifics, but I can assure you I've never spoken uh, with Ambassador Kislyak more than 10 seconds. Yeah, that's that's a safe statement. Okay. Um, again, I wouldn't, I would not be talking about this if, right, I, if there uh, weren't leakers. Right, it's, already, it's, it's always, it's already been, been reported out there. There is confusion about, uh, about your role uh, in the campaign. In March last year, candidate Trump identified you by name uh, as part of his foreign policy team. The next day, you tell the New York Times you've been sending policy papers to the campaign. Then August 24, um, the campaign, Hope Hicks says, calls you an informal advisor who does not speak for Mr. Trump or the campaign. A month later, September 24, Jason Miller, as we showed, says Mr. Page is not an advisor, has made no contribution to the campaign. He went on to say, I've never spoken to him, wouldn't recognize him if you were sitting next to him, next to me. And then this is what President Trump said about you last month. Let's listen. I don't think I've ever spoken to him. I don't think I've ever met him. And he actually said he was a very low-level member of, I think, a committee for a short period of time. I don't think I ever met him. Now, it's possible that I walked into a room and he was sitting there, but I don't think I ever met him. I didn't talk to him ever, and he thought it was a joke. So let me ask you, did you ever, I mean, you were apparently, I mean, they said early on that you were a, an advisor to the campaign, a foreign policy advisor. Uh, did you ever brief Donald Trump as a candidate or uh, a, as a president-elect? Uh, president Trump said it absolutely 110% accurate. I never briefed him. And in reality... Did you ever meet him? I never shook his hand. I've, I've been in, you know, many rallies with him from Arizona to North Dakota to many in New York. Rallies. And I, rallies. You know, which is, which is meetings, you know, so I... Well, let me you let know. me ask you about that because yeah. you have said repeatedly that you were in meetings with the president. You That's were it. Yeah. you were in Moscow uh, in December of 2016 at a pre you held a press conference at the Sputnik headquarters. I have to keep letting this audio play because honestly, I don't understand what anyone is fucking talking about. I have numerous reports that Carter Page was working with the campaign and with Trump's so-called foreign policy team. I'm not sure. If Carter is saying he never met Trump, because that would be odd. To reporters, you deny claims that you had never met Donald Trump during your time as an advisor, and you said, 
I've certainly been in a number of meetings with him. Yeah, that, well, now that implies it. I'm in a meeting in a conference room around a table. You're now saying those meetings were actually rallies. That is, listen, if you look at the definition of meeting in Russian and in a Russian context, do you when speak, they have large, do you speak Russian? Yeah, yeah. really. I, I get by. I can understand what's happening okay. in meetings, and uh, I, I can get my ideas across, but it's it's pretty So ugly. you're saying you were using the Russian definition of meetings. To, so do the hundreds of thousands of people who have been not to rallies? Hundreds. I mean, not, not, you know, I've been in smaller rallies No, no, rallies no, I'm saying the, the that, hundreds yeah. or tens of thousands of people who have been yeah. to Donald Trump rallies, can they say they've been in meetings with Donald Trump? We've been in smaller ones as well. But, What's you know. the smallest? I mean, have you actually been in a meeting where foreign policy was discussed? Anderson, listen, they were dis often discussed in, in rallies, et cetera, as well. Right, right I so. know, but, you know, if I go to a rally of Donald Trump's, it doesn't mean I'm an advisor to Donald Trump. It doesn't mean I'm going to a meeting with Donald Trump. I happen to be at a, I'm at a rally. So you went, to, you went to a bunch of Donald Trump rallies. Yeah, and things like that, exactly. You gave a quote to CNN uh, in January. You said, I've spent many hours in meetings with him. And then you said, uh, but defined in the Russian sense of meetings, participating in some of the incredible rallies that he organized around the country, from Fulton Hills, Arizona, to Bismarck, North Dakota, to a number of events in New York. And I really got to deeply understand what he was talking about. I think to a lot of people, that's going to sound like when you're saying one thing in Russia at a press conference, that you were in meetings with Donald Trump, that makes you sound important that you were in meetings and then to say well actually what I meant was I was using the Russian definition and I was actually in rallies with tens of thousands of other people. 90% of the students from the university and other media people that came to that meeting, uh, that um, briefing or mm -hmm. the uh, presentation I gave was, were Russians and so when they you know when they have demonstrations and gatherings in Bolotnaya Square or other places you know mm -hmm. that the term for that is meeting, so I was, you know, using... But, I mean, you're exactly. being described on Russian television as an important foreign policy advisor to the President of the United States, so when you say that you were in meetings, it certainly does make it... I mean, if I hear you're an advisor to the President, I would think you would be in more than just... I gotta stop this for the last time. And I'm sorry that Anderson Cooper had to actually do this interview. But this guy sounds like he eats a cereal with a fork. I'm so confused that now I understand how this guy got involved with the Russians. And for the sake of humanity, let me apologize. I didn't play that media clip to enlighten you. I played that media clip to show you that Carter Page in his Anderson Cooper interview, that was just a sleight of hand. That was a three card money trick to distract us Americans while in the shadows, there were real criminal connections and not political connections that were going on. It's obvious Carter wasn't a gangster. Guy sounds like he can't tie his shoes, but again, I want to listen to an interview Craig Unger did. He, more so than any other journalist, really hacked away at the real story. But the question I have is, it seems like he was in the minority. And I went back to 1984 when a man named David Bogdan, who allegedly had ties to the most powerful crime gang in Russia, 
walks into Trump Tower, there's a man who doesn't really have any means of uh, uh, making a living uh, that, that seems to be legitimate. He meets with Donald Trump and he buys not one or two, but five luxury condominiums for more than $6 million. In Trump, in, in Trump, in Trump Tower. Tower. This is the crown jewel of Trump's empire. It is the home of the our now president of the United States. And the state attorney general uh, office, uh, this is back in the 80s, later ruled that that was money laundering for the Russian mafia. And uh, I found at least 13 people episodes like that over coming years. And what you have to conclude, one, is that uh, Trump Tower, the, um, the president's home, was really a center for operations for the Russian mafia for a long period of time. And that's a very serious allegation. You also point out in your article that Trump was one of a few, one of two, um, uh, who allowed anonymous owners. Right. In fact, I, I think David K. Johnson originally reported this back in the day. That this was, uh, as, as you say, just one of two buildings in New York that would accept anonymous buyers buying through shell companies. And that means, effectively, it's being set up as a vehicle for money laundering. And uh, when you look at Trump properties over the years, there, there are at least 35 Trump Towers all over the world. Uh, there are about 10,000 units, eight or 10,000 units in that. It, it, it would be interesting to figure out exactly what is the scale of money laundering. I think it could be much, much more than a few hundred million dollars, because during the same period since Putin's been in power, you have a total of $1.3 trillion in flight capital from Russia. That's a lot of money to launder. And uh, suddenly, with, uh, with uh, 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 real estate, is just a terrific way, way to launder vast quantities of money. Now we're talking, but let's break this down. Obviously, if Trump never ran for president, I don't fault him for what every real estate mogul was doing in London, Miami, Dubai, and New York. These large towers were used as money laundering operations, plain and simple. The global elite from everywhere knew it was safe to park their money inside New York real estate. So no big deal. But Trump fucking ran for president. The question I have is how is this just a non-starter for someone who is going to control the nuclear codes? I mean... They have a lot of fucking rules in the Constitution. Maybe one of them is that if you launder money for gangsters, any gangsters, you just can't run for president. Stick to the south of France and fucking Cipriani's. Just don't let a guy like this run our country. But again, these political geniuses, I'm starting to figure out they might not have real power. They're all just trying to get rich quick. Well, you write in the piece that without the Russian mafia, it's fair to say Donald Trump would not be president of the United States. So what's the link? Well, well uh, a couple of things. One is, I mean, I, I, can't, I, I don't know exactly, uh, obviously, I don't know what's going through his mind and whether he's knowledgeable about certain things. But this series of coincidences that, oops, one guy buys five uh, condos and which appears uh, what appears to be circumstances uh, uh, suspicious circumstances and it happens again and again and again uh, 
I don't know all the answers to those questions, but the Russian mafia does. And it's also important to understand that I, I think when Americans hear the term mafia, they may think of John Gotti or the Sopranos or the Godfather. The Russian mafia isn't like that. If you're in a relationship with the Russian mafia, they're the boss, you're the apprentice. They can say fired. And uh, they have compromised him, and they are also an arm of the Russian government. Russia is a mafia state, and I think what's extraordinary, what Putin's greatest achievement is that he has weaponized organized crime so that it's effectively a powerful foreign policy tool, and they've compromised a man who happens to be president of the United States now. I've tried to make this point a few times, but Mr. Unger, he does it so much more eloquently. The Russian mafia and the Russian state are one and the same. Putin is John Gotti. It's pretty cool if you think about it. And fuck it, if I had that much power, why not amass a few billion dollars? Poison a few people. But what the fuck is the point? The sad thing is, is that everyone knows all of this information. And no one from the CIA, Homeland Security, the FBI or the NSA did fuck all about it for the last four years. So go figure. You write about a trip that Trump made back in 1987 to Moscow um, during the Gorbachev years. Why did he make that trip? Well, this was his first trip to Russia, and they were—there was sort of a, a wooing going on in which he was hoping to uh, build a, a Trump Tower in Moscow. It's been a dream that's been resurrected again and again and has never happened. But during that time, he first—for uh, uh, the first time, you see his presidential ambitions surface immediately when he comes back. And he goes up to New Hampshire afterwards. He's met, met a lot of powerful people in Russia. He goes up to New Hampshire as, as if he's dipping his toes in the presidential waters for the presidential primary coming up in 88. And he puts out uh, a full-page ad in the New York Times and Washington Post, in which he puts forth the same kind of foreign policy stuff he's been saying uh, during the presidential race and since he's become president, attacking Western Europe, attacking NATO, and, and uh, uh, frankly, putting forth a policy that appears to be in Russia's interest more than ours. Well, you point out in the article as well that since Trump has been president, so just in the last six months, about 70 percent of the sales in his buildings have gone to shell companies where we don't know, uh, we don't know the identity. Well, exactly. And that, that's uh, one question where you have to wonder how much—is uh, this is a free-for-all where he's la laundering massive amounts of, of Russian money? And it's the kind of thing that, frankly, as a reporter, that's where you see your limits. It's very hard to penetrate shell companies. and you need Need a subpoena, and I, I'm hoping that's a direction special counsel um, Mueller will go. Yeah, Craig. I mean, that is what we all were hoping for here, right? Isn't that why we brought Mueller on? Is to follow the money? Don't they say that in every cool movie or television show about journalists? Follow the money. I'll do one better. There's a special division inside the DEA that I know about. It's called the Special Operations Division. And these guys, they go after the worst criminals, arms traffickers, huge drug dealers, guys that have nuclear weapons, guys that are laundering billions of dollars like the fellas in Venezuela, the guys you see in James Bond movies. They love these cases. So you're telling me 
None of these guys could have investigated Donnie Boy. You want to appoint a Boy Scout and Robert Mueller? It just doesn't add up. Everyone inside the Justice Department, a Trump Justice Department, you know, maybe they could have spoken up. Now, that's very interesting, because especially in light of this New York Times interview done yesterday in the Oval Office, when Trump basically talked about his red line, he's furious that Jeff Sessions, you know, recused himself and let and which led to Robert Mueller being appointed. But his red line is going from Russia to his own finances. But you and our previous guests are linking the two. Absolutely. He is effectively saying he wants to obstruct justice. It's as simple as that. There's no other interpretation. So talk about some of the people that you write about. For example, uh, Semyon Moglovich and Felix Sater. Right. Well, uh, Moglovich has been uh, probably the most powerful mobster in Russia for more than 30 years. Uh, he, he has his, according to FBI files, he has his fingers in everything uh, from prostitution to drug running to uh, elaborate uh, stock fraud scandals and so forth. Um, but what he is renowned for is money laundering, and he was so successful at it. He was known as the Brainy Don because he has a degree in economics, and uh, he's come up with some elaborate schemes that, uh, that seem rather Byzantine and complicated, but they're very, very lucrative. And he was trusted by other mobsters to launder their money as well. So when you look at that $1.3 trillion figure and you, and you just sort of think, well, how can you launder this vast quantity of money? It would be great to have a real estate mogul who had thousands and thousands of luxury condos you could trade back and forth through shell companies. That might be an answer. So let's not get into the weeds right now. I'll devote a whole episode to Simeon Mogolovich. But the point I need to make is if you were making a chart of six degrees of separation, Trump would be a degree away from the biggest, baddest motherfucker inside Russian organized crime. And just let that sink in for a moment. Well, you write in the article that no one has documented that Trump was even aware of any suspicious entanglements in his far-flung businesses, let alone that he was directly compromised by the Russian mafia or the corrupt oligarchs who are closely allied with the Kremlin. So what are the implications of that? I mean, there's still no direct link between Trump and the Kremlin as a consequence of him working with these well, oligarchs. Well, I, I think that th those links are starting to be made, and we see it with, with, the, with the meeting, la uh, the, the eight people, meeting with the eight people that happened last year starting to come together. Also, I, I would argue Mogilevich himself has a direct relationship uh, to Putin, and, and we've, that's come out in various WikiLeaks. Uh, releases, uh, so and he, his link to Trump one more time. Uh, well, well, David Bogdan, going back to 1984, uh, was Which? was tied to the Mogilevich crime gang, and and Mogilevich is tied to Putin. When it comes to Trump and Russia, possible ties between the Trump campaign and Russia. It's easy to feel numb to the details. George Papadopoulos. Roger Stone. Cohen has been Paul Manafort. Don Jr. And every time we hear Trump respond. Never any collusion. Russian collusion hoax. Because there was no collusion. But no matter how many times Trump says this, here's what we can't lose track of. We now have evidence of three major connections between the Trump campaign and Russia. We know that people working for Trump 
were willing to work with Russia to help him. And it's possible they broke the law to do so. Here's how we know. FBI Special Counsel Robert Mueller has tied several top Trump officials to Russia. So let's try to organize them. We can do so with three specific categories. The first is a category we'll call shady connections. Years before Trump's 2016 run, his campaign manager, Paul Manafort, had several problematic connections with Russia. He had worked for Ukraine's pro-Russian political faction, making tens of millions of dollars. He owed $10 million to a Russian oligarch named Oleg Deripaska. And then during the 2016 campaign, he allegedly gave polling data to a man named Konstantin Kalibnik, who has ties to Russian intelligence. Manafort left the campaign in August 2016, and he's now in prison for laundering $30 million and hiding it from the U.S. government. 